It is another episode of Scarves and Spikes getting close to Christmas, the holidays. So holiday before and, before uh, we get started, before Tommy we get started, Lillard. we have to yeah, we have to explain for those listening on the podcast. Tommy has a so you're you're from Ohio, Tommy. Do you call them toboggans or hats? That is a beanie. You're from Ohio. I call it my winter, or beanie. My winter cap. Okay. Well, here in the South, we call it toboggans or beanies or whatever. Toboggans. That's a thing that you go down. I know. Just stay with me. That's a buffalo um, thing. But I'm <laughs> no, but Tommy is wearing a beanie or a winter hat or a toboggan. An Atlanta United on it. Christmas hat. An Atlanta United Christmas hat or a beanie. Or winter hat with Christmas lights on it. Yeah, it's, for it's those of you choice. listening to the podcast. So, <laughs> real quick, before choice. we we're gonna get off track, but real quick, yeah, no, so, no, we're, we're, we're off good. We are. <laughs> I fly down for MLS Cup. I buy this hat. Um, I go there the day before, right? And there's a team shop, and I go in and I buy this hat. I'm gonna wear it into MLS Cup. So it's rainy. It's cold. I've got this thing on, and the security guard like grabs me by the neck. And goes, you can't wear that in there. I'm like, I bought it at your store. And he was I like can. fighting with me. Uh, <laughs> and like, I wanted to get in. And then finally, I, I mean, I had a lot of drinks in me at that point. But I, I had to literally pull the battery out and like throw it in the garbage. And oh, then I found no. this two years later. There was one left on MLSsoccer.com. And I'm back. I'm back, baby. Back, baby. So this is back a good title again for next yeah. year for MLS Cup. Mm-hmm. All right. So we have a busy episode, super busy episode. It's going to be quite full. We'll be joined here in a little bit by, needs no introduction, Jason Longshore. We're going to be talking about the Atlanta news. We're going to be talking about U.S. soccer news. We're going to be talking about MLS Cup. We're going to be talking about Josh Cohen and whatever else may pop up in between now and the end of this show. And also... Uh, Jason is going to be chatting about his new podcast that he started with uh, Sandy McAfee from Atlanta United very recently. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to go listen to it, it's over. It's anywhere you get your podcasts like ours. So mm-hmm. when you go listen to ours, go check out theirs. It is uh, the history of Atlanta soccer and it is phenomenal. So I, but, I really don't think we have anything to talk about that outside of that, do we? No, no, that's that's the main thing. <laughs> that's what a, are you talking a about? That's a light show. Yeah. Um, Hit the music. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> We're done. So, Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, appreciate it, guys. Shortest show ever. <laughs> so, um, no, but, um, we'll no, but yeah, like you said. Um, just getting getting us going. We'll pay the bills. We'll go through everything that we need to go through. Patreon.com slash Garbs and Spikes. We are finally ramping up everything we're going to try to do for 2024. So... For those of you at the club level on Patreon, we, we just keep an eye on your email or wherever you get your notifications at Discord, whatever, because we're going to be reaching out to y'all to get some solid ideas for not only hats but shirts, maybe hoodies. It may have and, happened already. It may have happened already. You never oh, well, know. There you just go. Saying. He's ahead of the game over here. Just saying. And uh, maybe something to do with one of these. Without your, oh God, your, your chest, without that part. yes, my chest. <laughs> uh, uh, what, is the, what is the champagne room uh, tier get? Like, what do what do those people get? Is that a thing? It can Not be. Yet. Okay, maybe well, in twenty twenty four. I work on that. 
That'll be summer. You know what? Well, just like MLS and their their rules that they put out today, we'll just we'll make all the cool stuff happen in like two years. All right, continue. I'm I'm still upset. Ah, uh, that was good. That was good. I liked it. I liked it a lot. <laughs> He's a little well salty about this, apparently, in case you can't tell. <laughs> so um, Tommy will never forget that. Never. <laughs> the streets will never forget. <laughs> um, scarvesandspikes.com. Um, we've had a couple articles going up there. As you know, that's where you get to our shop. We got articles going up. That's where all of our episodes are posted. Uh, wrote about some of the U.S. news that we'll be talking about today over there. Also wrote about mine and Tommy's trip to Columbus for MLS Cup. Uh, which was mm. enlightening. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we ended up right in the middle of the supporters' march to the stadium, which was quite hectic. But it, but it, it was good. I mean, to be fair, not even being funny, uh, both sides behaved themselves very well. So it was a fun trip. Good to hear. And, uh, phenomenal time. So, so there are no like street fights or anything like that. No, no. There was some cussing. Yeah, there was some bickering, but yeah. nothing that got crazy. There was no like you know, spontaneous like dance fights going on or nothing like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> Those um, LA fans like were anchor men. They were no, nothing like that. But man, LA, the LA fans were going in just so confident. And like, I, I'm just sitting there. I mean, I had a feeling Columbus was going to win. I've been saying it for a couple of weeks, but like, just felt like LAFC was a sham. I don't really think that they were that good of a team going well, into it. And but man, I they push, were. I I gotta push back on that a little bit because I mean, granted, I was the one who picked Columbus or LAC that went two one. I don't know if they were the worst team or anything like that. I just feel like, and we can dive into this with Jason a little bit. I don't know if they were the worst team. It's just on the day, you know, they weren't good enough, and Columbus really just took it to them. They just punched in the mouth early. <clears throat> Excuse me. The penalty was just so pivotal, and then the goal. Later on, just minutes after that, to make it two nothing, and LAFC just didn't know what hit them. So, yeah, credit to Columbus; they really took the match to LAFC right up at their home ground, and congrats to them for winning. And yeah, this is going to be a team to watch. Not a lot of turnover in this team um, in twenty twenty four. They could add some pieces even. So they have a DP they spot will open. be. Yeah, they have a DP spot open. So. They could be one to watch in 2024, maybe to repeat. We'll see. You never know, but tremendous effort for Columbus, but not so much by LAFC, which I think is what you were saying, Tommy, in the first place. Sorry. They were suspect, man. They didn't play anybody in the playoffs. And even when they did, I mean, they were playing Vancouver. And I'm sorry, I didn't think Vancouver was a good team. And they didn't even look good against Vancouver. I mean, but that's the thing about the entire Western Conference. They they just weren't good this year, relatively speaking. Like the Eastern Conference was phenomenal this entire year. I mean, look at we we know <laughs> we're watching the scoreboard from like the middle of the season on, trying to figure out where things were gonna go. And it was just such a tight race. But you know, the Western Conference just didn't have it this year. So um Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the, and the uh, fans, yeah, kept- Hats off to Wilfred Nancy. Sorry, Tyler. Hats off to Wilfred Nancy. Uh, just the job he's done with his club. Getting, to, getting them to buy in. You know, just turning around that culture. You know, Caleb Porter, of course, was a coach you know, a few years behind him and led them to MLS Cup, but club decided to part ways with Nancy. Just really flipped the script immediately. And the players were all bought in, and they ended up winning. So, 
hats off to them. Hats off to Nazi and Montreal is probably still wondering why the heck they let him go. Probably a lot going on between both sides anyway, but still. So the the leagues usually you look at any league and after a team wins, it's like it, it it's all leagues are like copycat leagues, right? So what can Atlanta take out of what Columbus did? Because I've I've been thinking about this for you know the past couple of days, and you know we were one and two in scoring, right? Like, yep. Yeah. So all right, check box one, right? We we we're, we both score a ton of goals. They also blew a lot of leads. Check. Yeah. We blew a lot of leads as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I think ultimately, it's the midfield. It's the midfield, and 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 we've got these rumors coming out, right? Of uh, Atuesta again, which has has kind of been popping up over the past what year and a half, two years. And I, here's the thing. This team doesn't have a standout defensive midfielder right now. They barely have any defensive midfielders. So, you know, I I think just to, to kind of hit on this really before Jason gets on, I mean, it's better than what they've got. And it's not to say that Atuesta can come in and be phenomenal. I mean, he was phenomenal for LA when he was here. Yeah. But then he had some injuries. He had injuries when he was at LA but he had a really bad one down at Palmaris. He tore his ACL. So you've got another guy coming back from an ACL. Do you want to gamble on that with right. turf? Just throw it out there. Yeah. Uh, it's a gamble for sure. And um, but but to your point, Tommy, like if you're if you're trying to emulate a lot of what Columbus has done, I think you've got the right guy in the in the the driver's or right guys in the driver's seat because you've got a vision, you have an idea of what they want. Yeah. You've got a guy that has shown he can go out and get the talent, right? Even if maybe the timing wasn't always the best on getting that talent, we know that they can go get it. And I think that's a lot of the pieces of the puzzle that we're just kind of missing from 2018, 2019 onward. You haven't had both sides of that and you need both sides of that to be successful. Columbus has a great front office. They brought in a coach who, and I'm just going to throw this out there. Um, actually plays almost the same style of soccer as Gonzalo Pineda. Now, I know that might turn some heads, but (laughs) they try to play the same style. Now, whether it's affected on the field or not, doesn't always translate. I understand that. So what does Atlanta need to do from that perspective to get them playing with one identity, with discipline, and – uh, you know, have a whatever you want to refer to as a successful season this year. Yeah, and you know, you talk about Twesta popping up, um, and I just don't want like you mentioned injuries and stuff like that. There are names in the MLS free agent list. There are free agents out there that you could make a play for, and it sounds like Garth is of the impression of the mindset that you don't need to spend a lot of money on an overseas player. Granted, Saba is probably costing you high tan when he comes off with that DP deal, right? But yeah. if it, you're looking for a core position, to fill a core position on your team, right? you don't have to go overseas. Like I said, there are names in the free agent market. There are names in the trade market. I don't know if Lady Knight will make a ton of trades personally, but you have to think at least some of these names – are appealing for a free agency standpoint, if not in the midfield, but elsewhere in that spine. Um, the defense, defensive backs are going to be a big one. 
who comes in for Miles? Who comes in for Prada? Who comes in for Abraham? Um, who who do you call on? And there are some names out there, like I said, in the free agency realm that you could bring in. You don't have to break the bank. So that applies to um, the midfield too. And in doing that, you bring in a player, not to say that Twessa isn't used to MLS because of course he is. He used to play for LAFC, but you bring in a player that doesn't have to really adjust to things in the league, doesn't have to you know, kind of sweat out a visa thing or anything like that. You can bring in pe- pe- people and players and pieces that fit your system rather than you know, make a splash. So, and he's got I'm a green card for that. No yeah, international. Okay, yeah, he's got a green card. Yeah, so that's another big thing. So, yeah, I'd keep an eye on the free agent market for Atlanta United, if not for midfield, then certainly for center backs, uh, and again, other places in that spine. So that's kind of the kind of what I'm looking for to kind of tie it all together and bring it back uh, to Atlanta United. But. Speaking of... We can of, discuss that another time because we have our special guest coming on right yeah, now. Speaking of tying it all up, bringing it back to Atlanta United, um, Jason Longshore needs no introduction. Y'all all know who he is. Jason, I'm going to apologize in advance if you have a mild seizure when coming on here due to Tommy's uh, hat. That's uh, <laughs> that's something. <laughs> Best You're intro welcome. ever. J- that's something. <laughs> J- I guess Jason forgot. Jason, you forgot yours, by the way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's charging up in the back. <laughs> hey, thanks for coming on. We'll always appreciate having you. Ah, no problem. Thanks for having me, y'all. So, how are things going? Um, I'm even busy, but how are things going? Yeah, busy. It's weird. I feel like when I when I talk to people about like you know being busy this time of year, I feel like a teacher in a lot of ways, in the sense that the season's so long, it's most of the year, but around now you know like my day-to-day is really really different and it took i don't know maybe a a week and a half almost two weeks to kind of like get out of season mode and start looking ahead to the next game the playoffs are hard for for people in my industry because with when you're with the team you don't know how long your season's going to go you don't know how long game checks are going to come in you don't know you know what the next week looks like and it's uh it's tough when it ends the way that it, it does for everybody but you know two teams who go to the final so you know since then i've been doing some college games uh that season's over doing some upsl georgia games um it's been cool to hook up with them and and see some of the local talent on display, some really good stories there. And uh, working on our, our History of Atlanta soccer podcast series that there's plenty more episodes to come. And uh, it's been fun digging into that. So that is the perfect segue <laughs> now to uh, dive right into it. You, you, you took you took my thunder. You did it. <laughs> hey, I, I've, I've been around the block a few times. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. You know. um, no, tell every. I, th- I think it's phenomenal. Um, I'm a big history buff. Uh, both soccer and non-soccer. Um, you're talking about the end of the season. I did my whole Munich thing the day after Atlanta got bounced from the playoffs. So I I feel like I haven't actually entered postseason yet because I've been nonstop. <laughs> but um, just seeing some of the history there and then hearing y'all talk about Atlanta soccer history and being somebody from Atlanta, it's been really, really cool just to be able to dive into that. And because, you know, mm-hmm. you hear bits and pieces, especially if you grew up here, and then, but it's just not out there the way that 
you know, most sports are. And you guys have really dove straight into it and pulled it all out and really made something of it. So just tell us about it. Tell everybody about it in case they haven't listened to it yet. Yeah, we we came up. I had been researching this stuff for a long time, and I wasn't quite sure what it was going to turn into book or documentary or podcast or what. And I, you know, I've I've dropped different things on social media and done some articles here and there, and you know, dug into aspects of it. But the whole story of soccer in Atlanta has never really been told properly. And you know, what's what frustrates me when, when I get into these kinds of historical documents, podcasts, what have you, uh, docu, you know, documentaries, that kind of stuff, you have to get it right. And, and, I, and I understand, like, you know, in some situations, you're not going to tell the whole backstory. We, we kind of started with this idea of about six to eight episodes or so, and it's blown up and expanded a lot more than we thought it would because... Uh, Sandy McAfee from Atlanta United and myself, as we've started digging into this, it's like we want to tell the story for people in a podcast situation where people are going to invest the time. And, and what's been awesome is people have the people who have listened have listened all the way through the episodes. It's it's not dropping off as the episode goes. And some of these are long listens. And and, and it really came back to Sandy and I wanting to tell the story properly because you know, I'll watch documentaries of things that because I'm a history buff, too, and, and I'll watch things of, you know, stories I know or, or know aspects of. And, and I'll see something and be like, that's not accurate. That's not the story. Or you're leaving a big section out or, or what have you. And it'll it'll drive me crazy because I, I want it. I want it to be accurate and I want it to be complete. And, and it's we've been really lucky that the club has worked with us to allow us to do this in the way that we are. You know, it's it's taken longer to put everything out and put everything together, but I think it's worth it in the long run because we're, we're telling the story of, of soccer's journey in Atlanta and, and, you know, to a lesser extent, Georgia and the region, we're telling that story in as full of a way as we possibly can. And it's never been told to the degree that, that we've been able to pull people in and, and dig into some of the details and finer details of it. Well, Jason, you know uh, probably as much about soccer history in Atlanta as anyone in this town in this region. Um, as you kind of as you and Sandy kind of did your research for this podcast and kind of put these episodes together, anything the two of you uncover that you otherwise didn't know or surprised you about the Atlanta soccer scene from a historical standpoint? Yeah, there's been some some cool stories where we've gotten to talk to to people like Jeff Solom, who was in our, our chiefs and, and Apollo's episodes and Jeff telling the, the stories about playing at Bobby Dodd um, with the Apollos and the chain link fence around the field, um, which he ended up tackling somebody underneath at one point, which was a pretty cool little story. Um, you know, like just kind of the, the hard scrabble nature of it back in the day when we're talking chiefs and, and we're talking to some of these guys who, you know, what's been cool is, is with Jeff and with Alan Hamlin, who uh, Sandy and I both interviewed, we had a chance to bring them to the training ground and they got a chance to, to see the training ground and see what, you know, Atlanta United's headquarters is like and, and kind of compare to, you know, they practiced at Emory and, and they didn't have facilities, you know, and, um, 
just such a different time. Like I knew aspects of it, but didn't know some of the the individual stories as much. Right. I think one thing that I've really hit on here lately is as we're kind of working through what will will come. Um, this whole story of Atlanta soccer is going to go all the way through Atlanta United and even kind of look ahead. So you're going to hear from a lot of people in just the Atlanta United phase of the Atlanta soccer history. But I've been working on some stuff to kind of tie the pre-Atlanta United to the Atlanta United section and and everything but the pro teams because, you know, there's so much more than just the Chiefs and Ruckus and Silverbacks and and the Beat and those teams that were very, very important in this process. But there's so many people and individuals and things that happened along the way that we don't get to where we are today without. And, and you just... I think what I've kind of hit on here lately, and it's something that we'll dig into, probably the episode will come out in in late January once we get into preseason. Um, You know, the first era of Atlanta soccer that we kind of started with, we called the first episode with everything pre-World War II, kind of the prehistory, episode zero. Um, A lot of it started with the Chiefs. And the Chiefs planted so many seeds for youth and camps and clinics and high school starting programs and colleges starting programs, following up on a few that had already started. It just it blew everything up. But then that just kind of, again, it planted seeds. When you got to this era, and I'm trying to remember kind of the, the terminology that somebody used, kind of a gap between the Chiefs and between even the the ruckus really the ruckus were 95 when they launched the chiefs ended in 81 you had the georgia generals in 82 you had the atlanta attack indoor team in 89 to 91 but that gap you know that's where where i fell in love with the game that's where a, a lot of people my age kind of found the game or fell in love with it or were playing youth and you didn't have those touchstones that kids today have with being able to to see Brad Kazan and goal being able to see what your did this past year, Almada, you know, we didn't have that. I didn't get to see a professional soccer game with an Atlanta team until I was a senior in high school. And mm. I had been, you know, playing since I was nine years old. So that gap era, like it feels like it's kind of a, a barren time frame, but it's actually one of the more important eras in my opinion, as I'm kind of finding, because the attack, for example, brought so many people to Atlanta and people who then became coaches in Atlanta. Greg Blassingame, for example, with Concord Fire, you know, one of the top youth clubs in the area. And Greg's done an amazing job growing that club. He came to Atlanta to play professional indoor soccer. It doesn't happen if that team doesn't exist. You had the indoor kind of semi-pro teams that ran after the attack folded or move to Kansas city and you had guys either get to keep going, you know, and make not really a full living, but stay connected to the game while they got their coaching education and then get into coaching. So many of those players from that indoor era, the attack and the Atlanta magic, so many of them moved into coaching and played such a prominent role in that next group that came, the Clint Mathis's, the Josh Wolf's, the mm. Kelly O'Hara's, like that group. And mm. that's another, you know, link in the story. And, and that's yeah. what's been so cool is 
I never really connected that. And I, I grew up during it. I went through it. But I never really connected how important that era was behind the scenes for what we have today. Right. It's pretty impressive. You know, the names you brought up, you know, O'Hara, Wolf, Mathis. I mean, those are household names in U.S. soccer and you know, kind of that thread that connects them to the past. It's just pretty impressive. And you know, it's great for you to be able to get in there, dig in to, yeah. That was, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what our our mindset was with this is, you know, as we started kind of talking, Sandy came to me with the idea. And like I said, I'd already been researching it and we we talked about it in the first episode. Uh, I told her not to be afraid of the Google doc. I was about to send her when we first had our conversation (laughs) about it, because I think (laughs) at that stage, it was about 150 pages. Mm. Um, (laughs) A lot of newspaper articles, stuff that when I started doing it, I was literally going to the Decatur library and going through microfilm and going through old newspaper archives to try to connect some of these dots, things that I knew and wanted to learn more and things that I had read. And I'm like, I know that's not accurate. And I wanted to find out if I was right or not. And like one of the biggest ones that I think has mostly been corrected by now. And and we tried to drive a pretty strong point with this. A lot of people, if you read about North American soccer league history, they think that the, the chiefs changed their name to the Apollos and it's not true. The, the chiefs folded and the Apollos were essentially an expansion team who had first dibs on the chiefs, former players. They were completely separate ownership groups. One was the Braves with the chiefs. And then the other one was the Hawks and the flames at that time in the Omni. And, it, it only lasted one year and, you know, you had a lot of reasons for why the chiefs folded. And the first time around that, you know, people didn't, didn't previously tell that story correctly. In my opinion, like what it turned into at that time, the chiefs were kind of ahead of their time. They, along with Dallas were the two that understood and, and they were probably in the most unique markets for this you didn't have much soccer history and you didn't have much of an international community in these cities at that time. So they understood they had to go out and literally create fans from thin air and and go and teach kids what, what a soccer ball was. And no, you can't pick it up unless you're the goalkeeper and all these kinds of basics that we take for granted. I mean, if you're a kid in 1967 in Atlanta, you haven't had access to play soccer period. It didn't exist. There, there wasn't a league. Um, there wasn't, you know, schools playing outside of six or seven. Um, it just didn't happen. So, you know, when you go to see a game or, or you have a, a pro player come and he has a, a different accent and you're like, wait a minute, what, what is this? It changes your world. And, and that's what was so cool about what the Chiefs and, and the Tornado did in Dallas. Well, the Chiefs spent so much money in all of the early stages of things that you had two things kind of come together at the same time. The The Braves were not in a great financial position at that time, and they ended up actually changing ownership from the owner, Bill Bartholomew, who brought them to Atlanta uh, before Ted Turner. There was an in-between. And because the Chiefs were, were – the, the Braves were losing money, by that stage, the Chiefs really weren't losing much money. They were pretty close to break even, and they were probably one of the only teams in the NASL who was anywhere near that in 1970, 71, mm. 72. Um, yeah, it was a pretty you know thin budget, but they were doing pretty well. 
the Braves, they had lost money in the startup phase and they hadn't really made it back. And the Braves were in a bad financial spot and they weren't winning games and they needed to invest in other areas. So that's what ended up forcing the Braves to pull the plug. And then that opened the opportunity for the Apollos that was a one-year experiment and didn't work. Second time the Chiefs came back, it was uh, Ted Turner had the opportunity to launch his second uh, cable news network, Headline News. And the North American Soccer League at that time was bleeding money. And the Chiefs mm. lost more in their three years the second time than they did in their first era in the 60s and, and early 70s. But Ted needed to put his capital elsewhere. You know, and look, it was probably a pretty smart business decision because the NASL folded three years later and headline news kind of made him a lot of money over the years. So I think he got that one right. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I like I like you brought up the uh, the Apollos because I was actually going to I was going to drop this because I'm all caught up now after the uh, the drive to Columbus. It was great. You had plenty of time. uh, Oh, yeah, I have plenty. (laughs) Yeah, you did. um, (laughs) But no, you know, for people that really like you know, you, you might've heard stuff about Atlanta soccer history in general. Um, go listen to this because it is all it's, it's validated. It's, it's not Wikipedia, mm. right? Like you go on Wikipedia right now. I have it pulled up. I'll read this. Oh boy. <laughs> the I'm going to have to go ahead and edit real quick. I, I can yeah, see. go ahead and go ahead and get you. <laughs> ready. Um, the team competed in the NPSL in 67 and the NASL from 68 to 73. And again, from 79 nope. to 81 for the 19. <laughs> already, already one wrong. Already wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For the 1973 <laughs> season, the team played as the Atlanta Apollo. Yep, that's the second part that's wrong. Yep. So there you go. You're not getting your, your, they tell us exactly. not to write papers on Wikipedia, right? Yeah. yeah this is why you don't, this yep. is why you don't, this is why so. you got to go into that microfilm sometimes. Now you can at least go to newspapers.com and do the digging while you're sitting at home. You don't have to go to the library to do it. That helps. Right. You don't have to go sit in Atlanta traffic to go to like the archive <laughs> at state or something. You know? I, I had to find that the Decatur library was the one that still had a lot of the microfilm when I started this in like 2015. 15 2016 so yeah i'd go over there and dig wow. through and have to look up the articles in the old uh search books i don't even remember what those were called old school stuff kids today are listening to this and like what yeah. is this old man talking about what what are encyclopedias <laughs> yeah. what's microfilm what's that yeah. right <laughs> first day of my first job i broke two microfilm machines Oh, oh no. see, you know, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those things are evil. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were terrible. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All um, those microfilms are going to be useless going forward. It's sad. Yeah. Because it it's such a unique way to look at things. But yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Newspapers.com is much better. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so next episode, you said end of January. Um, no, that's there's a lot more coming before that, but we'll take a little bit of a break for the holidays. Okay. Um, we've got, God, where are we? Um, we've got second Chiefs, we've got Ruckus, Silverbacks, and those are going to be two separate episodes. And we've got a lot of Ruckus and Silverback stuff, which was really cool because, I mean, that's that stuff I lived and kind of going back to to re research some of it. It's funny how your mind plays tricks on you and you remember yeah. things and you remember the order that things happened. And then, no, that's actually not it. This happened before well, the this. Barbara Streisand effect, I think it's called. 
Is it? Like yeah, that. it's one. I'm getting old. It's, it's the, the major <laughs> one, and I've been hitting the head too many times, so that doesn't help head. either. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the old effect. But yeah, it, it's been it's been cool to kind of reconnect with some folks and and talk about those eras that I lived in a, a very particular existence of it. And you know, for the ruckus, it started as a fan, and then I worked for the team. Um, and I worked for the league to keep the team afloat and the silverbacks. It was a lot as a fan, but not entirely because then I ended up doing a lot of game day stuff for them in the NASL era of the silverbacks. So, um, I will tell you one thing that has not made its way into it yet. And this might only end up here. Um, when we talk All silverbacks, right. exclusive. It's, it, yeah, kind of an exclusive here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when the North American Soccer League was working to bring their roster up to eight teams. So this is in late 2010, before it was public that the Silverbacks were coming back. Well, that was the only group that made sense to add an eight team on short notice because Traffic Sports, who was propping up the second North American Soccer League as it was launching, um, Aaron Davidson went to Emory and I, I believe he was either a, a student with, or he knew uh, Boris Strakunica who had owned the silverbacks and had put them on hiatus. Um, so he knew the silverback situation. They had went on hiatus for two years, but they had the park, they had a brand, they could, you know, come back to life really quickly. And we had some meetings, uh, with different people in the Atlanta soccer community kind of late in 2010 as they were kind of figuring out what they wanted to do. And and they weren't sure if they were going to come back as the Silverbacks at this point. That was one of the, the possibilities was, do we change the name? Do we do something different? And I'll mm-hmm. always remember we, we had this one, you know, kind of under wraps town hall with, uh, I was at soccer in the streets in the time we had some soccer in the streets, board members, we had some local, uh, youth coaches and administrators. We had some members of the Latino leagues and media, and we were all just talking about what what we thought would work, what we thought wouldn't work, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. And one of the suggestions at that time was, "What you guys should do is is change the name to Atlanta United, because yeah. this would be something that would unite the soccer community." Because that was one of the things we kept coming back to is it felt very fractured at that time. Yep. And this guy was just adamant, like, it needs to be Atlanta United. That's the best name going forward. That's <laughs> what it should be. They, of course, didn't do that. They kept the Silverbacks branding. And, you know, somebody else did. Hey, right. Yeah, here we are. But, yeah. <laughs> here we are. So, well, I'm going to dive into MLS Cup here in a second. But I just yeah. got to say my favorite. I think uh, there's so many good stories about it. Um, and I, I knew most of this one before, but it, I think it's cool to know that to this day, because of Atlanta soccer back then, there is a team playing in South Africa yep. named the Kaiser Chiefs, named after mm-hmm. the Chiefs, but also Kaiser Motong yeah. was a star player for them. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's and, and they're, I mean, it's South African premiership, so whatever. Right. But like they're successful, right? They're yeah. very successful. Yeah, Kaiser so, was Kaiser was huge. Kaiser was huge in Atlanta at that time, and that's yeah. that's one of the things when when you go back and and pay attention to soccer at that time, because again, like I grew up in late eighties, early nineties. And I I read the paper as a kid and I I paid attention to all the sports. And I'm like, why, why isn't there a soccer team when I was first getting into it? What, what, why doesn't this exist? And you know, as you, you paid attention to it at that time, 
very negative about soccer in the paper. And, you know, it was off the backs. I didn't know as a kid, but it's off the backs of multiple failed teams. So people were cynical about it. I, I get it. Um, that continued much further than made any sense. And there's still some of those folks kicking around these days in different parts <laughs> of the country. But, you know, if you go back to the very beginning when the team was launched, and again, you had no soccer pedigree in Atlanta at all. It, it did not exist on any scale outside of Emory having a team, Oglethorpe having a team, the very small international community in Atlanta in 1966, 1967. Um, Lockheed, the Lockheed plant had a, its own little league for kids there because most of the people were, were not from the, the States who were working there. So that was really it. The paper, hmm. both papers, because they were separate at that time, the journal yeah. and the constitution. Yeah. They were all in on covering it. And there were articles every day about the Chiefs and, and every aspect of it. And the build up to the the games with Manchester City and Santos in 1968 were massive. And Kaiser Motong was a big deal. And, and one of the things that was really cool about the the Chiefs was you had Kaiser from South Africa, you had Freddie Mwila from Zambia, you had multiple African players. You had multiple Caribbean players from Trinidad and Tobago, from Jamaica. Obviously you had your, your Brits um, from all aspects of, of Britain. You, they, they had the idea that one, you didn't have American players who were ready at that time yet. And St. Louis was really the only team who did have some at the very, very beginning, but they knew and, and Dick Cecil knew this and Phil Woosnam knew this. Dick Cecil was the, the vice president of the Braves, who was really in charge of the soccer team. Woosnam was the coach slash player slash GM slash everything. Um, <laughs> they knew that they had to get players who spoke English because they were going to go do all these camps and clinics. Players came in and the majority of them were on 12-month contracts, one of the only teams that did this. And they were going to play for six months and they were going to go and teach the game for six months. And they had to have people who spoke English. And it was a very multinational team. It was a very diverse team in terms of race, which go back to you know this time period in Atlanta and in the United States. I think that says a lot. Atlanta was really one of the only teams that had African players in the North American Soccer League at that time at the very beginning. And Kaiser was a, a superstar. You know, he wasn't on the Hank Aaron level, but people knew him. He was nicknamed Boy Boy at the time, and and people knew him in Atlanta. It was a big deal if the Chiefs came to your school and did a did a clinic, and Kaiser was part of the group. Yeah. So for for him to feel so strongly about his experience in Atlanta, to when he had the opportunity to go back to his homeland and launch a club to use the chief's name and it was with full, you know, agreement and acceptance by the Atlanta side of it because it was nothing but love for, for Kaiser during his time in Atlanta. And you know, it was mutual, but to go back and, and honor his time in Atlanta with that was very, very, very cool. And the logo is the same as the original chief's logos in different colors. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's such a cool story. So, and again, guys, if you haven't checked it out, Go check it out. Spotify. That's where I've listened to it. But it's pretty much every podcatcher, right? Yep. Yeah. Anywhere you want to go. Apple Podcasts. You know, yeah. they got it. Big one. Spotify. Google. Everywhere. Everywhere. Amazon. <laughs> Everywhere you want to go, you can find it. So, um, MLS Cup. Uh, and it, feel, God, it feels like it was such a long time ago. I know. It's so, there's been so much happening. But um, 
just take us through what you thought. Take us through your kind of, uh, it's not initial thoughts anymore, but kind of how it went down for you. Because for us, it was, uh, I think, to put it in one sentence, Columbus was the better team. Yeah, the best yeah. team won. The the best yeah. team in the second yeah. half of the season won. Um, they were the team that going into the playoffs, I remember all the conversations going into decision day, and, and I was adamant. It's like, I do not want to see Columbus. Don't want Columbus. Don't like that at all. Don't want to see it. Um, I was hoping that it would fall. I'm watching everything on decision day. We were updating it throughout the game on the radio, and I was at one point, for a decent bit of time, we weren't going to play Columbus. And I was very happy about that. And then it just kind of settled into it. And you saw the series. I mean, you know, you go three games, it's a, it's pretty even. And they had the two home games and it showed they were the better team. Um, they showed their quality going to Orlando, dominating that game. And it took a while to break through, but they did. They got punched in the mouth a couple times against Cincinnati. I didn't see that coming. And they yeah. fought back and they got that win yeah. there. And I thought they just completely broke Cincinnati to the point that I was so baffled by not that a lot of people have gotten hung up on the lack of substitutions from Cincinnati. You can only sub so many guys. Everybody was dead in that game from Cincinnati because of what Columbus does to you. But I was baffled by the guys who came in who weren't running for the guys who were dead tired. Like you've got your MVP, Lucho Acosta, yeah. who is the best player in the league. And everybody's like, oh, well, he can't run. They should have subbed him. Sergio Santos should have been running for Lucho Acosta all day long. Right. Because if you go back, Lucho almost set up a go-ahead goal for Cincinnati, even though he was on one leg. The little one-two inside the 18, because mm -hmm. he could still do that. He just couldn't run. Sergio Santos and I'm trying to think who else, I think uh Angulo. There was one more that came in, and I'm like, why are you guys not running double time for these players who have gotten you this far? Blew my mind. I think it says a lot about how Columbus breaks you because of how they play. They keep the ball away from you when they're when they're on and they're playing in that way, and you get frustrated and you start chasing and you get tired. And then when it turns over, they just press you and they, they create havoc and they create turnovers. They break you in a lot of ways. And I thought LAFC... Coming into that game, I was so struck by how defensive LAFC had gotten. And I get it. You know, you, you've got Chiellini in there who's old and doesn't have the pace that he used to have. And Bela's yeah. not exactly a spring chicken. And Hollingsworth yeah. is getting a little bit older. And, you know, you had a lot of older players in that team. So you sit behind the ball a lot more and you defend and you try to hit on the counter. I was surprised LAFC didn't move Boanga over to the opposite side um, quicker. It took forever to do that. You knew that Mo Farsi was going to start because we had seen it since the game two in Atlanta. And that was that was another one where we talked about it in the full-time report. Atlanta exploited Gressel's lack of pace and lack of defensive ability. And in that third game, Wilfred Nancy was not going to allow that to happen. And he put Mo Farsi in. And I, I said it in the full-time report. It's like, I think that's the move they're going to make. I hope they don't make it because it gives Atlanta an opportunity to attack something in Columbus, a weakness. When you took that away, they were so balanced. And Farsi was able to give you that. Farsi could run with Boanga. That's what Boanga could do in that setup for LAFC, is he could get in behind you and, and kill you that way. Farsi could run with him. They needed to move him to the other side, where Yaya Boa wants to attack all day, and you want to make him defend. 
when they did in the first half, I thought that's when LAFC probably looked their best. But Columbus was the better team, and they had a better roster, and they had a better setup. And it goes back to why we talk so much about game model and identity and staying true to it and building it and growing it, because that's what Columbus did. Wilfred Nancy knew exactly how he wanted to play, wasn't going to deviate dramatically from it. He he'll, he makes little tweaks in games. He, he's always going to tell you, like, I don't look at what the other team does. It's all about us. Any manager who says that is kind of shading it a little bit. They do look at what they can exploit in the other teams. And he tweaks little things. Sometimes it's Amundsen who steps forward higher. Sometimes it's Marrera. Sometimes they both have to hold a little bit. Sometimes they'll go a little more defensive with the wing backs. He can tweak little things, but it's still Columbus. And what he did this year with them, what they did in the second half once they got Rudy Camacho, they were the best team in the league. They were the deserved MLS Cup champions, and they got most everybody coming back that was important to that. So they should be the favorites next year straight out of the gate. The one part that made me nervous about that game was you look at the subs that Nancy made in the second half. Nagby comes out, right? And then it's Rossi, and then it's Cucho. What if this game gets tied? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. that's the risk, you know. But the flip side, and we talked about it a lot in the Atlanta series, is they were a very first-half dominant team all year long. And they gave up goals badly late and and i think it's somewhat because they would run themselves into the ground a little bit and i think in this game it was maybe one of the only times and it's the final it makes sense of why you do it one of the only times that you'll see wilfred nancy be somewhat defensive with his subs and, and more about fresh legs he knew he needed that um it was risky it was because if lafc finds that goal then yeah and we see that happen so many times, right? Where you get defensive and, and you sacrifice guys and, oh, oops, I wish we had that guy an extra time. Um, but he had the belief his guys could get it done. And they pretty much did without too much of a sweat even making those moves. Yeah, me and me and Tommy, we were we were standing there watching, you know, we're on our feet. We're just like, because thankfully where we were at, all the goals happened on our end of the pitch. Oh, very nice. Uh, it was perfect, yeah. Um, but you know, those subs, they were, they were nerve wracking, but I, you know, I got to say this and, and I might get some hate from Atlanta fans. I love Julian Gressel, but he came on and he had, he had a rough one just for the yeah, short yeah. time that he was on. He was mm-hmm. he's not defensively sound typically no. anyway. We, he wasn't going to be that in Atlanta and he's never been that, but um, he had a rough go when he came on. But uh, I mean, they squeaked it out because like you said, they're the better team, but I, I was, I was very nervous for them in those last like 10 minutes or so i i wasn't too much although you're right when gressel came on he he did really struggle um i don't think he's a guy who comes off the bench well honestly like i I don't think it's really his game um but you you gotta protect him defensively if you're gonna start him and columbus couldn't do that say as balanced as he did again you look at what they did once they put Mo Farsi into the starting lineup for Gressel, they didn't lose. And he got that dead on Wilfred Nancy. And that's a, that's a gutsy move. There was a lot of media who were, were singing the praises of Gressel going into game three against Atlanta. And I remember when that lineup came out, you know, I kind of chuckled because I, I felt like I had a pretty good sense of Nancy at that point. 
And, you know, for guys who want the ball, for coaches who want the ball, and Guardiola falls into this, so many others do, a lot of what they do starts with how they defend. And when you were weak defensively and gave the opponent an opportunity to attack you in a certain area that can then chip away, like go back to the game two for Atlanta against Columbus. Atlanta launched so many attacks direct down the left, so over Gressel's head, to the point that Marrera had to sit back deeper. That took away a weapon for Columbus. And then they have to step a little more to that side to protect it even more. Then Atlanta got the, I think the first goal came from the right, but it was because you had chipped away at the other side so much. Columbus then had to get the duct tape out and fix it over there. And the leak happens on the other side, but that's because they had a weakness and Nazi corrected it. And you know, that's the, that's the thing. They're not a super deep team. That's the, you know, one of the, the biggest weaknesses. But again, if in MLS, when you have a cap, like you've got to sacrifice things somewhere. And they went heavier in their 11, 12, 13, maybe. Because Christian Ramirez is a very important part of that team. And he wasn't starting sure. at the end. Yeah. Um, Zawadski slash Amundsen um, slash Farsi, Yaboa, like you were getting two to three of them in the lineup out of the four. You had some depth there. Uh, Chiberko, who they added in the summer, was a, a nice depth piece at center back, a true center back. But not a not a lot on the bench that scares you in terms of game changers outside of Ramirez. But that starting 11 is so good. They usually yep. win the game in the first half. And that's what they did such a good job of. But by the point, you know, late when they're making those subs, a lot of it was just fresh legs. Yeah, so again, hats off to the crew for bringing home that third MLS Cup in club history and kind of side up congrats to Gressel and Nagby for winning again. Nagby um, his fourth and Gressel his second, so congrats to them. So um, kind of switching gears, uh, headed back to Atlanta United. Josh Cohen, of course, the big news coming out today here on Thursday. Um, signing between the pipes, Champions League goalkeeper, with Maccabi Haifa, uh, met the media earlier on t- Thursday. I was a Tuesday, Thursday. Uh, <clears throat> big question, obviously, what does this mean for Brad Guzan? I can't. I feel like I kind of know what your answer will be, but what does this mean for Brad Guzan? And where do you see Cohen Cohen fitting into this team for Lady Night twenty twenty four beyond? I want to know what my answer is going to be because I'm not sure. <laughs> well, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I'll, I'll, you, you put yourself no, in no, shoe. No, no. I, 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 I want to know what I was going to say. No, no. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what I think. He he's running the S competition. I think Kazan is still the goalkeeper number one until otherwise stated. But I feel like and Cohen said this earlier. You know, he's going to push for that number one spot. And I don't know what what doesn't mean for Brad Kazan. I guess. I'll let you answer. What doesn't it for regular I mean, I think number one, it's competition. Like, I I don't think, you know, anybody is guaranteed of being the number one between those two. Um, Because, look, and I know Josh Cohen's name has come up for about a year and a half now. Um, I think it was when the Achilles happened for Brad. Uh, the first conversations really started about Cohen and then he had a shoulder injury. So it, it didn't make sense because they needed somebody immediately at that point. 
Um, then the situation last year, which I think got blown so far out of proportion, it's not even funny. Um, the fact is the Israeli league is not better than MLS. It's not. And I don't know of anybody in Atlanta who is an Israeli league expert. I'm not, um, (laughs) you know, I mean, he, Cohen has games in, in Europe and that's, that's great, but he is an unknown quantity. And I think anybody telling you that he's going to walk in and be the number one because he's got, I think, six games in Europe, six Champions League games, that that makes him the number one over over Brad Gazan and what he's done. No, it's who's going to be yeah. the better goalkeeper for this team. And you got to get them both in. And as I think you guys have seen over the years, goalkeepers not purely just stopping shots. You know, what Gazan gives you in longevity and leadership in in the locker room behind the scenes. You know, how many guys who came into the team in the summer talked about how easy it was to fit in and how that locker room was so welcoming. And that's why they hit the ground running so quickly. A lot of that's down to your captain. So you have to factor in all of this when you decide which player is the better one for your team. And I don't have an answer because I don't know. I I need to see Cohen. I need to see how he works. I need to see how vocal he is. I need to see how good he is with the ball and possession. I know that was something that he talked about uh, a couple years into his run at Maccabi Haifa, that there was something he put a lot of time into because it wasn't something he had really done much of before. Um, Sacramento, when he was with the Republic, they weren't a build-out-of-the-back kind of team. So that was something he had to work on. Is that at the level that this team needs, or is that going to need a little bit more work? So it's going to be a, a competition. And look, the answer is not 100% that Brad Kazan's back for next year. He's under contract. There's an option for the following year. Remember, he, he restructured his contract to allow the club to have more cap space. Um, so that's why he's got another year and an option after that at the, the club holds. He doesn't have a lot longer in his career. We all know that if he comes back. We, we know mm-hmm. his age. We know where he's at. You don't purely just discard him because you signed somebody else. It's a competition, and that's a good thing for this team in preseason. I don't know who comes out of it. I need to see more of Cohen to be able to answer that, and I need to see how Brad comes back from an offseason too because father time can hit you you know, faster sometimes in the offseason. And, you know, is Brad who he was when he arrived here? No. Cold weather, he, man. Yeah, all of it. I mean, all of it. So, like, Brad's not the same guy he was when he arrived. Who's going to be the better goalkeeper? Nobody knows that yet until we see how it goes in preseason between these two. And they're going to sign a third. I don't think they're going to sign a third guy in a pure like competition for the number one spot. That would create chaos. But they're going to sign a third guy as well. I don't know if they go young or older with that. We'll just have to wait and see. Are you nervous? So Guzan made a 600,000 based and I did my research by listening to Sydney and, and Tyler uh, on their Instagram video the <laughs> other day and kind of estimated that he made somewhere around the, the 500, 6,000 range. Spending 1.2 million ish on the cap on, on two keepers. Does that make you nervous at all? No. I mean, again, you know, we just talked about Columbus and how they were structured. Um, if you have the young players that are contributing in the way that Atlanta United has, 
when you get the goals that you got from academy guys and it's like no cap hit for the guys who are past the 20 on the the senior roster um i think all the the homegrowns were in that situation i don't think atlanta's got any homegrowns who are on the senior 20 you're getting production for nothing so that allows you to put it elsewhere and and you also you know again you have to hedge your bets in this because i I, I would assume that they've had conversations with Brad Kazan, but you know, he there's nothing public yet on if he's coming back next year. So you have to sign somebody. You have to sign somebody who can be your number one. And, you know, you have to sign somebody who can potentially be better. And if Brad's the better one, he's gonna play. If Cohen's the better one, he's gonna play. I, I think it's you're at that spot. So you're not gonna get what you I think need in that role if you don't spend a little bit. So the production from your homegrowns gives you more cushion to where you're not having to spend on a on a reserve forward slash winger when Tyler Wolf can do what he's been doing. Hopefully Nick Firmino can give you some things off the bench this upcoming year. Um, that's big. And, and that's why, like, when you, you look at building a roster, like, I know it's easy to get hung up on this much spend in this position and this much spend with this guy. And they only did X, Y, or Z you do have to look at the entire full construction of it and where your production is coming from. And I, I really think the homegrown production gives you flexibility that some teams don't have. So Jason, last time we had you on was right before the season was starting, you know, back in the days when we were talking about Aruju, which feels like seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, we talked about expectations of what this team had. Garth, you know, obviously wanted at that time. I don't think we knew what the playoff format was. No, we didn't. Think that, and, you know, he said he wanted a home playoff game. Well, everybody gets a home playoff game now. But, you know, obviously he meant the top four. It didn't happen. But overall, what are your, your you know, your last impression uh, of the entire season of Atlanta United this year? I'll, I'll kind of echo what I said going into game three. I really liked how this team came together after the the summer window was completed. I, I really liked seeing that team play. I would have liked to have seen more. I would have liked to have seen them play more. I, I wanted this, I, like, I really wanted them to advance. I wanted to get more games under their belt. I really liked where that group was. I think after you got that group together, so after the summer window closes and you've added Saba and Shande and Muyamba and, and get Mosquera back, who was a really big return there. You got Abram into the starting lineup and got him ready to go. Like that team was better than sixth in the East, which is seventh overall. Um, they were really good down the stretch. I would have loved to have seen some of that earlier, but you made the moves that, that you made. I think ultimately they paid off because you're in a better position going into this year, knowing what we saw in the second half of this season, you're in a better position going into 24. Every team's got questions and big one's going to be starting center back. Obviously. I think that's a bigger question than goalkeeper for me, because you know, you have, you know what you have in, in Gazan. Hopefully Cohen can be even better or can push Gazan to higher levels. You're going to be fine there center back it's an unknown it's an unknown and that's the one that is the biggest challenge but if you're just if you're if you're going back to that kind of cap side of things and what you can spend you've 
you've got a decent amount you can you can you can put into that. You can invest into that position, and you got to get a starter, and then you've got to get a reserve. I think you got to get two center backs, and that's the biggest thing in this offseason. The six is another one. You know, I personally think Jay Fortune is ready. He's young, but I think he can do it if if he is the guy. You're gonna trade off, and again, it's a cap league. You're, you're gonna trade. You're gonna get some cap relief. You're gonna get a lot of cap relief that you can put into different positions, maybe into center back. But you're gonna get some mistakes because he is still growing as a player. But I thought he handled the playoffs pretty well, honestly. I thought Jay did a good job in those situations. So, can you spend more and get better in that position? Yeah, you can. But Hosechi set a higher bar than, and I, I think finally at the end, people gave him his flowers a little bit. At least he got a couple flowers from folks. <laughs> um, Hosechi paired with Muyamba. Hosechi was excellent down the stretch. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, and I, I've said it before, and it's probably the last time I'll say it. So people who get mad about it, y'all can, you know, put this <laughs> one to the side. I love that we saw so much praise for what Darlington Nagby did for Columbus. I, I love that. But we've got to praise it when other players play in that manner. And Hosechi played in that manner once he paired up with Muyamba completely. You go look at the numbers, they're there. Not a ton of chances created, not a ton of goals, but keeping the ball ticking over, connecting the dots. He was so good. Jay's a different player than that in the midfield. You're, if you go get somebody else, they're going to be different in some way. You want that chemistry to work. That's going to be the biggest thing in that position. I think Jay and William Bach can be good. Get center back right. And I'm sure they're probably, you know, I'm sure they're probably where they, they know what they want to do in the the holding midfield. Um, They know if they're going to go shopping, go shopping. And Fortune's going to get games, but he's going to grow. That maybe gives you the possibility to go get an older player knowing that fortune could be the guy maybe next year or, you know, in 18 months, but center back is the one I keep coming back to. And I think that defines what next year looks like this year. I thought it was a good team, a really good team at times, Um, a team that could win MLS cup at times. I think if you put Atlanta against any of the other possibilities in the first round of the playoffs, Atlanta beats them and goes into the the single game eliminations. Columbus was the draw you didn't want. Um, they would have been second in the West, as we've talked about the East versus the West this year. The East was brutal and really good. And I think the playoffs showed that and Atlanta was right there with them, but ultimately gave up too many goals and and that's what it came back to. But I thought that improved with the moves that they made and the chemistry fitting without like going and getting locked down defensive players that controlled games better with that midfield, with Hosechi, with Muyamba, with Abram being able to play out of the back in the manner that he did, with what you got from the the wingers that you added and be able to get Wiley and Lennon back to fullback, it all fit better after that. And that team was better than it started, and that team was good enough to make a deep run if you start with anybody other than the team that ended up winning things. Yeah. Which is the Atlanta curse, right? Like <laughs> it happens. <laughs> Look, it, it happens. But that's that's what gives you, I think, with so many guys coming back this year. I think that's what gives you a big push coming into preseason. Is we were right there with the team that went on and won the thing, 
and yeah. gave up some goals you shouldn't have gave up. Uh, you know, falling behind early in, in Columbus, you're always running uphill in that building. You guys know how how powerful the home field advantage can be in that yeah. building experience it for MLS Cup. You give up two goals, it's going to be a struggle. They fought. They didn't roll over, but you can't spot a team that good a couple of goals early, and you just can't give up, especially the first one. Second goal, it's a worldie. I mean, have nightmares yeah. about Malte Amundsen hitting the shot of his <laughs> life against us. In that, but, um, the first one, you can't give up. It's, right. a, it's a bad giveaway. When you're pressed, you need to put that into the stands. Could have put it up into the radio booth. We would have caught it. It would have been all right. <laughs> so I've got two quick questions for you. Speaking yeah. of chemistry, um, because I think that's one of the things that's been going around is like, you know, what position do you want Atlanta to focus on in the offseason? But I think in reality, you look at this team that just we will just say let go, but let go of so many players and so much depth. You don't do that unless you have an idea of where you're going, right? But ultimately, you you talk about Hosetu and how he paired with Moyumba. And, you know, he was a different player entirely. Do you feel it's more of an issue now that you've got Lagerway in here working with Boca Negra? They've been there. They've been able to settle in. They've got a whole year that they've been able to work together. Now finding these guys that maybe – aren't having the best seasons right now. We, we were talking about Atuesta before you came on. Mm -hmm. um, maybe they're not, I mean, they're not having the best seasons, but they would pair well chemistry wise organically with the ones that are here. And you don't have to worry about your front three. Almada's no. the wild card. We don't know what's going to happen and, with them. Yeah, and there, there's nothing anybody can, yeah. again, none of us know what's going to happen with that. Right. So but, but when it happens, them, you got to replace him with somebody good. We know yeah. that much. And then chemistry-wise, though, is, is it just a matter of finding the – maybe not the superstar, as we've seen in the past, but the one that's just going to meld with Muyumba or you know be the mentor for Jay Fortune or uh, Firmino? Yeah, I, I I think it's a different situation than it's been in some other off-seasons. You know, like you're, you're not replacing Miguel Almiron with Pitti Martinez. You, you don't have to do that. You will have to replace Tiago Almada when that time comes. You don't know that time's coming right now. There, there's really no way to predict the January window in, in Europe. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if the offer comes that's good enough. I don't know if it's the right club for him to go to. I, I, I don't know. Um, I also think that the context maybe was lost a little bit with his interview down in Argentina in terms of, you know, I don't think he's saying I'm not going back. He, he yeah. wants to go to Europe. Well, that's understandable. He's not going to say that. Right? Yeah. He, he, you got to say that in the Argentine media. They're going to light you up. So he <laughs> he obviously wants to go. Uh, but if the right deal is not there, I think he's okay. I, I think the clock's ticking, but it, it, he's okay. If the right deal's not there, and he's going to, as long as Argentina qualifies for the Olympics, which they should, but youth competitions can get crazy. U23s can get nuts. Um, if they go to the Olympics, he's going to know that's in his back pocket. That, yep. okay, you know, I don't like this club that's offering me, and I don't like what they're talking to me about salary, but if I go to the Olympics and light it up, then I'm going to have a lot of people coming to talk to me, and I'll make a lot of money on the back end of that. So that's in his back pocket. Um, 
leave that to the side because that's just a complete unknown right now. You're not looking for superstar kind of positions at the moment. You got to get center back nailed. And that's the the biggest one who's going to start next to Luisa Brom. And, you know, it's not it's not Noah Cobb's time yet. He's not ready yet. Um, I think he needs another year of getting games under his belt. And that's why getting two center backs is so important in my mind, because Cobb doesn't need to be the third guy sitting on the bench and not playing. He's got to be able to go play for the twos, him and Morales, both. They got to get games. So you got to get two guys. You got to get one who's comfortably in the backup. You got to get one who's the starter. And that, that position is the most important. And I say it's more important than the six. And you know me with midfielders, like uh, that's that's what I that's what I you know focus on the most. Uh, holding midfield, it's such a vital part of a team that wants to hold possession. But you have Jay Fortune, and we've seen him in playoff games. You know what you have. Can you get better there with whatever cap constraints that this team has? And we don't know. And that's the the thing that I wish they would get more transparent is to be able to have that conversation in detail. Like I can't sit here and tell you that you can afford to go get a starting center back and taking a wild card at what Atuesta made before he left the league, what he might be making now, what it might take to go get him. I don't know if they can do both. There's no way to know that because we don't know how much cap space they have. We don't know how much allocation money they have in the, uh, you know, fake monopoly money vault. We we don't know these things. So if you are constrained, then you've got to get the center back spot right. That's the number one, knowing that you have fortune. Um, I think, and looking back at like the number of guys who aren't coming back, when you really look at the number versus how much they played in the second half of the year, I think it's a different conversation. And I, I know a lot of the the narratives were like, you know, it's it's complete overhaul. Not really. Not really. Once you got the team settled, like you got your rotation of which you know, I think Columbus is a smaller, by the way, in terms of guys who are contributing down the stretch. But you got your rotation of 15, 16, maybe 17, 18 guys. If you want to stretch it a little bit further, you got your rotation pretty nailed and you've got the majority of that coming back. So the excess players, if they're not going to play here, it's better for them to go somewhere else too. You know, that's just the situation that you run into. And with guys coming up, like Firmino, like Aiden Torres, who I think will mostly be with Atlanta United too, like Luke Brennan, who probably because of the position depth at the wing, he'll probably be mostly with Atlanta United too. Hopefully Morales and Cobb are, if you add that position depth at center back. But, hopefully you've got that next core of extended depth that you're developing in house and you have, you focus on your rotation of about 18 got to get center back. Right. And then you got to decide how much you have to spend. Can you go get an Atuesta who was really good in this league? You know, I, I think we can guess that his chemistry would be good. We don't know. You know, that's a, a big part of the, the art to what, you know, Carlos and his scouts and Gonzalo in terms of managing people um, and his staff who, you know, a lot of that comes down to the assistants as well. And Eugenio of own, for example, is really important in these areas in Sports working with the young players. 
Gotta yeah. Give them a shout out too. And, and this is the part, maybe that's a little separate from the sports science part, because you'll get the, the list of guys, you'll get the information on the players. You'll, you'll know who you think is going to be good, but the art to it is having a locker room that they can walk into and feel comfortable having a group of guys that get along, having when things happen and they do any workplace has it where somebody's getting more attention. In this case, somebody's playing more. Somebody's not playing as much. Sometimes people react to it differently. Sometimes they sulk. Sometimes they get angry, you know, whatever. Having a group of people who can manage those things. I think you're in a good spot with being able to deal with all that, but you've got to bring in people who fit into the culture that you've created. And it was a, a big talking point with Gonzalo Pineda about getting the culture the way he wanted. And I think it was before last season. Am I, am I right with that? Or was it yeah. one season back? No, that was last season. It was, it I was, think it was the big talking point coming into last yep. year. Mm-hmm. I think he's coming off the Joseph stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I think he 100% succeeded yeah. because of what Saba had to say, what Shande had to say, mm-hmm. um, you know, what Tristan had to say, what Edwin, what, what Yorgos, all those newcomers who came in. I, I think the chemistry and the, the culture was absolutely right. So you have to get guys who fit into that too. And you have to spot open too. You can, you don't, you're not gonna, and this is where I think when we get into the, like the explanations of these things, it's, we got to be real specific. Like you're not going to spend whatever allocation money that you have that you could use to buy Saba down to create the DP spot. You're not going to do it if you don't have to, because that, that monopoly war chest of fake money over there, that can be pretty valuable if you might need it in a different way. So you can go DP if you need to. I don't think you necessarily do. Honestly, I, I, I don't think you go DP at center back. I don't think you need to. I you don't go DP at six again, knowing what you have already. Yeah, you're you're you know you've already got a pretty good hand. You don't need to use a very valuable DP spot in that position with what you have already. So, I think having the DP that can be bought down, which because they didn't change the rule. And it's the one thing I really wish they had done that would have been realistic in terms of MLS rules for this year. I wish they had untied the DPs and the U22s. Just you have three, you have three. That's the one that I wish they had done. I think a lot of people were unrealistic about what they expected. Um, I do want to talk about that before I go with you guys, if I get a chance. Oh, yeah. We were going to hear Okay, cool. Sorry, I'm (laughs) rambling. We're we're going. No, you're good. I like Um, it. But this... (laughs) I think because of that, you're better off having your three U22s and having Saba in a DP spot than going to get somebody that you don't necessarily need in the positions that we're talking about on a DP number and then having to get rid of two U22s as well. I, I think you're better with going to get a, you know, a expensive but not DP center back. And again, just don't know how much you have to spend. And then it just comes down to where you are and where you rate Jay Fortune right now. And do you do you take the trade off of having more room to spend on that center back and play Jay, or do you feel like you need to go get somebody and spend some money in that position 
to pair with Muyamba, which will likely mean you'll have less to spend on your starting center back. So that's your balancing act. That's your seesaw right now in the in the post in the the offseason. Real quick, speaking of center backs, uh, probably not a player that will affect the first team. <clears throat> excuse me, in twenty twenty four, Garrison Tubbs, uh, yeah. pretty much a no brainer. Bring him in as a homegrown, right? I think so. Um, yeah. Just unbelievable development from him, and he was really raw when he went to Wake Forest. Uh, player that I thought had potential. I didn't think he'd be as good coming out of school as he's going to be. Um, a lot of people, and, and it's crazy how these things go, and it, it shows you how like you know player identification and player development's not straight lines, and it's not an exact science. Everybody had Kendall Edwards as the center back out of that group. I did. Everybody did. Every coach I talked to, every scout I talked to, everybody had Kendall Edwards being the guy out of him, Tubbs, and Campbell. Well, Campbell was in the USU 23s. And Campbell, you got a really good return on Campbell. And I think there's still a lot of room for growth for George Campbell, a player I've always really liked. Um, Edwards had injuries, and he wasn't able to get to that next point. And it also shows the value of college for some guys. You know, Tubbs, if he had did homegrown and he wouldn't have gotten it, but let's say they they got it right with projecting it. If they you sign him as a homegrown and he doesn't go to Wake, he doesn't turn into what he is because the games aren't going to be there necessarily for him. Right. Going there and getting everything that you get in school, all the maturity side of it as well, all the you know, you're you're basically at like a small pro team in a lot of ways. You don't get as much yeah. time in terms of games and season length and those things. And that's what I I hope college soccer can evolve a bit with that because uh, there's a lot of value in the college game. And I think Garrison Tubbs is going to show that for Atlanta United fans in a big way. I would expect that he signed to a homegrown, even if he's not that third guy this year. Which, again, you start talking about like caps and dominoes and moving things around. If he can be your third guy, well, then you just saved a whole lot of money again. And you've got more (laughs) money to spend wherever you want. But I think you'd be in a great spot to sign him to a homegrown and then probably loan him to Mm. a USL championship team. Mm. Yeah, Because I'd like to see Cobb and Morales be your main two with Atlanta United 2 and Next Pro. So I don't want one of them to then have to take a seat if Tubbs is that guy, right? I want Tubbs to play. So I think it's probably that kind of a situation that would make the most sense, but I'd love to see him under contract. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you're listening to this now or after the fact, and you haven't heard of Garrison Tubbs, go look him up uh, now because it's in the top three for player, the, the Heisman yep. trophy award in college yeah, soccer as a center back, which yeah. is yeah. wild to be <laughs> in that level of stature as a center back. That's amazing. And it's just a, a credit to the work that he's put in. It's a credit to Wake Forest as well, who, you know, we've seen it with Machoke Chole. Great program. Way back, you saw it with Parkhurst. Yep. A lot of big pros come out of that program. They do a great job. So um, I want to transition to the rules that you're speaking of. Uh, Also, just to throw this out there, because, I mean, I think pretty much all Atlanta fans know, um, January 27th, Protective Stadium, Birmingham. So – uh, I mean, I'm assuming that's going to be a fully open kind of like Chattanooga last year. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting. Yeah, I think it'll be like uh, like it was when we were over there. What twenty two? Um, I think I it don't was twenty. I don't. No, we we've been in protective before. 20, oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Protective. Yep. I think it was twenty two. 
Yep. Um, I don't think the upper level was on sale. And that was the first game Birmingham ever played in the building. So yeah. I think it'll be a better crowd this time around. Hopefully the weather's great and it's not yeah. crazy cold. Um, love to see a lot of people make that trip. Um, preseason games are always fun to see that mix of the first team guys, of the the academy, the second team guys. I think if if people were paying attention to preseason last year, you got a good glimpse of what Firmino could be, what Brennan could be, especially um, some guys who had good seasons for Atlanta United too. Alan Carlton spent a lot of time with the first yep. team in preseason. Um, he's one to watch down the road as well. His development's been nice. So get over to Birmingham if you can. I don't know what the streaming situation is going to be. They broadcast it last time. Um, yeah. I would assume that Birmingham, I mean, it's their game, so I would assume that they would broadcast it. Um, so that should be available for people. But I, I think I can say that um, if you can't watch it and you can't be there, you can probably listen to it with very familiar voices. <laughs> maybe maybe just maybe to know. perhaps <laughs> uh allegedly after, after the bucky's trip right. yeah well right. after and before and before it, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Both ways, so yeah of course so yep. all right um new rules we'll just say rules sporting initiatives is what mls said okay. uh coming out but yep. you know i think two of the ones that i've Tommy's already I, shaking his head <laughs> I hate everything. He's already <laughs> I like the next pro rules of like the the you know timed uh substitutions and and like the stoppage time thing. You, you know, you you've got things that that worked. I think I think benefited the game in next pro. Uh, so those those field. three, the stoppage time part is new. That's yes. cool. Put that in the, put that on the board in the stadiums. Good move. Like it. Yeah. Um. The substitution one where you got to get off the field quickly. Yes. Um, they put a time limit on it, but I didn't see referees like clocking it and like one, two, thing, like counting it to guys. <laughs> but they would say like, hey, get yeah, off the field. Yeah. Go. And, and math, it, yeah. it, it sped it up and it worked. That was good. Yeah. Um, the injury one, that took a minute, I think, to get it right. Um, I remember early in the next pro season, Johnny Vial, like he ended up break, he broke his foot. Yeah. Um, you didn't know he broke his foot at, at the time. He he went down. It's kind of an awkward one. I think he he got tackled, and he landed awkwardly, and he couldn't get up. Like I mean, because he had an injury, and it wasn't a card. I don't think it was a foul. And because he couldn't get up and get back on the get back to his feet or get off the field, they end up having to play a man down for three minutes. Yep. And that's one, and I remember talking to Steve Cook about it afterwards, the Atlanta United 2 manager. And I think referees did it better as the time went on. I, that's when you got to use a little common sense. Like, he's legit banged up. He's not milking it. So extend that leeway a little bit while also saying, hey, we do have this rule. Let's let's go. Let's let's get moving. Because um, he got subbed. He came back on, then he subbed out. So... That was the one time that I'm like, just have to get that right and manage it right for referees. But in general, you what happened so often in Next Pro is you would see like academy kids come into the league and they do what you do. And it's a part of the game at this point. Sadly, you know, you get knocked down, you go down, you roll around for a while to try to run clock or to try to break up a team's rhythm or, or whatever. And referees would then go over to him and say, hey, 
you have a time limit to get up. Are you getting up? And it'd get up. And the play would move on. So Philadelphia might have some problems with this rule. I'm just I saying. love it. I love, I love it. it. I I just this might this might be the Philadelphia rule. It very well could be. So it's gonna take some <laughs> adjustment for people. I the like Jose those, Andres Martinez rule. Oh, the, <laughs> <they went laughs> Santos, who was the one yeah, in Cincinnati. He was the one in that Concacaf game where I mean he's rolling around for 20 minutes. It's just like rough. <laughs> So now you can't do that. I like that. I do hope referees use a little bit of common sense and when to apply it and when to stretch it a little bit further. So those three are all good. So that's three, three out of three. We're in a good spot. What's yeah. next? What's the one where they, if one guy gets injured, the other guy has to stay out at the same time. I think um, that was the one I was reading that was aggravating me. No, it, it was, I think it was the way it was worded. I think what it was is if you had a head injury yeah they wanted to have them come back on at the same time there was a clash of heads yeah a head injury that requires all field treatment Mm -hmm. yeah if both guys have to go off the field for treatment they have to stay off until they both come back on or i guess a sub is made yeah it's i don't know if it's 100 percent necessary but i i get where they're i get the idea behind it at least um I could all I could honestly I'd have to think about some of the scenarios and games where taking the head injury part away. I don't hate the idea because there are situations where you kind of benefit from hurting somebody. And I'd like to see those washed away. This is not taking that into account. This is a you know, it could be completely accidental. Just two guys go up for a header and clash heads. Um, I want to see how this works. You know, one thing and I've seen some of the the pushback on this aspect of it with with rules and things, there was a question about concussions and, and, you know, instituting a temporary sub. I think all of these things have to be, which concussion temporary subs is not all of these things have to be in the approved trial or approved potential changes by IFAB and temporary concussion subs are not one the concussion substitutions and allowing an additional one that is an MLS opted into that rule, but you can't create rules out of thin air. Right. That's something that, you know, just keep that in mind when it comes to this, it has to be approved. Otherwise we're going back into the Atlanta soccer history archives and we're creating a 35 yard line for offside and, yeah. and all those things. The classic. Yeah, um, that happened. That was real. Yeah. So the last, the, I think the last three, and these are the ones that got most people, I think, in a tizzy. Yeah. Discovery slot reduction. So, I mean, this is maybe not as big of a deal, but yeah. they're reducing discovery lists. Hopefully it's the, the process of getting rid of it. Yeah, yeah. You know. Amen. Seven I, I, to understand why it's there, um, and I thought Paul Tenorio's article in The Athletic was good today to give some background in terms of the competition committee. But this is why history is important. And I think it's 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 one of the, the reasons why we did the podcast series that we're doing. And hopefully we'll shine a light on more historical things because it does affect today. And I think why MLS is structured the way it is today and some of the things that people don't like or would like to see changed or would like to see move faster. There's a reason why it is. There's a reason why it exists. And the discovery is one, you know, you, they did not want competition to drive up prices internally. 
So they tried to create mechanisms to where they avoided that, where you avoided two teams going for the same player and bidding against each other, and the price goes up because that happened in the North American Soccer League. And what happened so many times in that was, you know, there'd be bidding for a player to come in, and then the Cosmos would be able to break out the uh, the glowing suitcase of money that Al Nasser <laughs> stole when they they signed Fifty Martinez, and they'd get whoever they wanted. You know, and, and they'd spend a whole lot more money and any other teams would be like, oh, well, we were going to spend this. Now let's go spend it on somebody who's not worth it and teams go broke. So discovery lists are a relic of that mindset. And you have enough mechanisms to where you're not going to have the internal bidding for players break you now. So I think yeah. you can move that one to the side. So then Monopoly money, GAM. <laughs> uh this is the one really no this uh, one i thought was okay the the gam one where you you can actually get gam on selling uh designated players now i thought yeah i thought it was i think it's fine but i think, yeah, I think a lot it's of people good have gotten it confused with like well why are we just not adding another dp spot or something? yeah no that's yeah. different that's a different argument and yeah and that's honestly and this is again just like i talked about with the the rules of competition that you can't just unilaterally change you can't just unilaterally do whatever you want in terms of how much you're going to spend and how the rosters are going to be constructed. There is a collective bargaining agreement with the players association yeah. that does have some limitations to what can be done. And I think one thing to keep in mind is I know fans and, and I know media, we all want, you know, five designated players and, and, and six U 22 spots. I don't think the players association wants that. The Players Association does not want guys coming from other countries coming into this league and taking spots. The Players mm. Association would then, their members would change. So they don't want that. So keep that in mind when we get into this, this kind of conversation about expanding spending. They want, the Players Association wants expanded spending, but on the current players in the league. Mm. They don't want those guys to lose jobs. So that's, that's a tough balancing act. And that's why I think things move a little slowly at times. And the other reason, and I know a lot of people are going to take shots at Clark Hunt because he heads up this committee. Clark, Hunt's, Clark Hunt lived through all of the reasons why you have a salary cap and you have the limits on spending that you do because of his dad with the Dallas Tornado. The Dallas Tornado, we talked about it earlier with the Atlanta connection. They were the longest running original team from the NASL. They were the team, the, the Chiefs were actually one of the longer running ones, um, the, the first era of the Chiefs. The Tornado went all the way to 81. And when the Chiefs pulled out, there were some serious conversation and it's something that I hope we get a chance to do like a follow-up episode or it might pop up on, on a soccer down here or somewhere else. Um, I got to know Dick Cecil towards the end of his life. Um, oh, actually for quite a while, I got to know him pretty well and his uh, business documents were donated to the Emory university Rose library hmm. and lots of stuff. A lot of it is the original era and like minutes of, of league meetings and not, you know, talk about getting things accurate. I was banging my head against the wall watching the um, billion dollar goal first episode. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to bring mm. that up. <laughs> there, there was a lot of inaccuracies in that first yeah. one. Once they got to the cosmos, it was right. But there was a lot of stuff with the NASL that was thoroughly wrong. Yeah. 
And, and one of them is the idea that nobody wanted to do pro soccer until the World Cup final in 66. That's not true. I, I can actually show you the minutes from a league meeting in May of 66 where Atlanta was in the league. They, they ponied up. They were in the league. So there were a lot of permutations in the way things shifted, but got to get these things right. So back to the NASL portion, there was a lot of talk before the Chiefs went out and before the tornado went out because Dick Cecil and Lamar Hunt were close and they were both trying to get things to where MLS started in terms of being sustainable. They didn't want to see the comings and goings of teams and franchises and going out of business and they didn't want that. So there were proposals about almost separating the NASL into two of the wild, wild West cosmos and whoever wants to follow you, you can go do whatever you want over here, spend whatever you want. And then over here, you're going to have to have a certain number of American players. You're going to have a salary cap. You're going to have these things. So when you wonder why Clark hunt is the, the way he is, and you know, I think it's unfair to say that FC Dallas doesn't spend, they spend a whole lot on their academy mm-hmm. and that's paid off for them yep. and that's worked. Yes. But the reason why it's important to have him is he is one of the people who would have that institutional knowledge of why MLS is slow to just blow up the spending numbers because you still have some people in the league who were either at the beginning where they lost a lot of money for a long time, and now they're finally either breaking even or starting to make some. And you have somebody like Clark who lived it with his family. And, I mean, the NASL didn't exist probably, period. If you didn't have Lamar Hunt, it wouldn't have lasted as long as it did. It wouldn't have changed the soccer landscape in the United States if Lamar Hunt didn't invest in it and give it the credence being the you know the original guy with the American Football League and getting the merger with the NFL and everything that Lamar Hunt did as a sportsman, soccer doesn't get to where it is without him. And Clark Hunt is the next generation. So that does inform why I think in he's probably, and I don't know, I'm not in those meetings, but he's probably one who says like, hey, is there another way? Hey, can we do it in this manner? Because he lived the alternative, which was teams coming and going. And that's that's why you had so many people who were negative about soccer. Because you'd be in a market and, you know, you go to Memphis. And I'm sure Memphis 901 deals with this. It's like, oh, well, we had the rogues back in the day, but they only lasted two, three years. And then, and then they went out of business. And soccer can't work here because of that. Like, that's why teams folding it, it does damage in markets. So are you past a lot of that now with MLS? Absolutely you are. This league's not going anywhere. These franchises, these clubs are not going anywhere. But you don't need to just blow everything up that's gotten you here either. I would have liked to have seen them, like I said. I do like that you now you can make allocation money on designated player transfers. That's good. That's going to increase the amount of money you can spend on your cap. That's a good thing. I wish they had they had uncoupled the designated player U22. I wish it was just 3 and 3. Just flat out 3 and 3. The U22 is a good good initiative. I like it. I would 
the other couple things that I'd like to see him change, obviously increase in just the amount you're going to spend, just whatever your, your baseline is. I'd like to see that go up incrementally faster than it was booked in the last CBA. And remember, that's those numbers are, are there. I, I don't know how much leeway you have to expand them. I think you might have to go back to the bargaining table with the, the players if you do that or if you go past a certain amount. Um, the league does have the ability to change some things. They don't have as much as they used to. And if you remember that whole negotiation with the CBA, the previous one, the Players Association was not happy after they agreed on the, not the current agreement, but the previous one. Because right after it was agreed to, TAM came into the league. And the Players Association was like, well, you increase the spending in a different way. And the league had the ability to do that. In this agreement, the league still has the ability to make changes, but I do think there are limitations on what changes and how many and what kinds of changes. I don't have all that language in front of me, but just remember that when it's, you know, they should have added another designated player. I don't think you could do that. You know, I think you could have separated that, that, that element. I think you probably could have pulled that off. I'd like to see teams have the ability to go above the cap to re-sign their own players. And they do, I think, to a very minimal extent, essentially the, the bird rules in the NBA. I'd like to see that incorporated. I'd like to see maybe if you don't want to do that across the board, you do it with homegrowns. And they, they, they can stay off your cap. So if you develop a U.S. men's national team player and he decides not to go to Europe, Jordan Morris, for example, and Jordan Morris turns into even better than what he is now, say he's a golden boot winner a couple times in a row and you want to pay him designated player money, you should get rewarded because you developed him and he stayed with you. So he should be off your books, period. And if, if you get a bonus DP because of that, then that's good. We invested in developing a player, mm -hmm. right? I think there's ways to do it that fit the current CBA, but I, I think the biggest thing beyond the competition committee for me is the Players Association league leadership needs to sit down and find the proper way to go forward together and increase the spending for this league increase i mean across the board roster size total cap designated player if we're going to keep that designation in there and i i'm fine with it i don't i don't hate it if you want to keep it to four or five guys that have a max cap hit that's fine they need to sit down, though, and get on the same page about we have this opportunity. It's not purely about Messi, and don't tie it to him. It's about Copa America. It's about the Club World Cup coming next summer. It's about the World Cup. It's about the Women's World Cup coming because, yeah, the women's game does affect the, the men's business as well. You got a lot of big competitions coming, and there's probably more. I think the, the CONCACAF Champions Cup is going to be bigger than it's ever been. I think that's going to start to have an impact. Leagues Cup is only going to continue to grow. There's going to be more money. And I know the players want their share. And I know the current players want their share. And they don't want to lose their spot. But now's the time to sit down and really get strategic about what things look like. And that's more than just a competition committee conversation. That's a players, owners, commissioner everybody at the table and say, look, if we're all going to grow. We're all going to eat well. Let's decide how we're going to do it. Yeah. And I think that's my thing is, you know, 
right after COVID when things when all these tournaments were were together, right? There they so had many the midweek agreement, games. like they had the. If I remember right, they had the agreement on a CBA, then COVID, and they hadn't signed the agreement, and then they had to make tweaks to the agreement because I mean nobody knew what the business was going to look like at that point. And they did then get the agreement done. Was it right before MLS is back? I think it was like yeah, right. They had to finish it, it, yeah. But before, or they it they had it at least working in order, and they knew what they were going to do, and it might have got signed and ratified. After. I hate everything yeah. about that tournament, so I try not uh, to think about it. Man, looking back at games in 2020 is weird. Sorry, yeah. sorry, Tommy. Go ahead. <laughs> well, no, it's just you know when when you have so many games together, you know your midweek games become, you know. <sighs> not as fun to watch right like i remember like specifically like in in the 2021 season you know you had these wednesday games and there was just a lot of guys that normally don't play and the quality went down a lot and Mm -hmm. i feel like there's more games coming like we're constantly adding things to this league we got to throw more money at the depth i agree and and i guess you you got to throw more money hoping for you got to throw more money there and i think you're limited in and I don't know if you can literally say we want to increase the spend because of the CBA negotiation, because that's bargained. Like that's there. It, it's set for next year and the year after and what it goes up to. I don't know how the structure is to be able to increase that. Um, I think where we're getting to essentially is, you know, you compare what Philadelphia did this year where I, I think they played, 51 games. So uh, I'm, I'm, that number seems right. It, it might yeah, be around I that. Think, uh, 53. I think LA was 53. Okay. Yeah. So, I think LA might've had a couple more. A yeah. They got to the final. Yeah. Um, it's a lot, but how many games does Manchester city play? How right. many games? Do, and now they can spend more. And, and that's right. the, that's where Tommy's yeah. getting at is you could, you have unlimited spend there, but also when we talk about the business of the game, do we like that Manchester City can outspend everybody? I didn't think we liked that. You know, do we like that PSG can have 50 guys? Chelsea has 75 guys, it seems like. I can't keep up with who's on Chelsea anymore. It's not like there does have to be a give and take. And I think where MLS is in terms of a cap is a good thing. I do want them to get more creative. And I think for me, the way you increase the depth and and what I would be, if I'm at these committees, what I would be like just begging for is the continued investment in the incentivizing of developing homegrowns and then keeping homegrowns. If we improve our depth because we're developing better players, I like that situation because that's good for soccer in the United States. If we increase the depth by going to sign guys from, you know, mid-tier European leagues, I don't think that's ultimately good for the game. I think what we want is incentivize teams to develop better players internally. And re, I mean, if you got a really stretch, cause Dallas gets it, Atlanta gets it, Philly gets it. Um, there's others. Those are the, the three, I think that are really killing it right now in the account. LAFC, although we haven't really seen it at the first team level yet, they're, they're still very young clubs. So you know, not much younger than Atlanta, but anyway, um, you you don't like you only see a handful getting it right and understanding like this can really improve your business like we talked about with atlanta's cap if you're getting production from your homegrowns you got more room to spend on other things philly does that really well dallas does it really well and and they're seeing and i think atlanta 
has seen a little and are going to see it when time comes for Caleb Wiley to go, you're going to see a nice return on that investment. And, and that's growing the business, growing the level of play in this country. Better players we produce at that level, the better the baseline gets. Everybody comes up a notch. And the better the national team get. So well, that would be my Rosie push. Dad. Is yeah, developing yeah. internally to improve the depth, and that's what I would I would say to these teams. And that's where, uh, so that's actually the perfect segue. They had the U.S. Soccer Summit, and and then of course we're going to talk about the uh, the headquarters and all that. But if if U.S. Soccer had anything to say about it, which I understand they're a separate seat at the table, it's yeah, not MLS. Yeah, I don't know but... if they're even at that table, but they definitely have the uh, the facts line. They can they can definitely send their thoughts in. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they can they, send they the pigeon pigeon in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Little smoke signals occasionally, yeah. but you know they 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 want to develop from the ground up, and I think you know selfishly for the U.S. for U.S. soccer, I mean you have to like there's yeah. no other way. So, um, getting MLS clubs on board with yeah incentivizing the Caleb Wileys the. Uh, Greg Berhalter mentioned today, Kromoski down in Miami, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, th these kids that are, that are working their way up and they're going to be part of, if it's not 2026, it'll be hopefully 2030, whatever. Um, they've got to come. A lot of them are going to have to come through MLS academies. And so give them, they are. they are now. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's just, that's where they come from. Like you, there's only so many kids who can represent the U S who are developing, from the very beginning in European academies, like there's some who can go really young. The majority are kind of in your Weston McKinney kind of situation where he was a Dallas kid. Yep. And instead of signing the homegrown deal, he, he went overseas and it, it paid off really well for him. Uh, Reina went even younger yeah. over and didn't sign with NYC, but he came through NYC's Academy. He's also, you know, different kind of pedigree as well with his dad being a legend and, and all that, that helps you a little bit, a little bit, but, You've you've got to see these guys, Pepe, the Aronsons. You know you, they're gonna get their starts here. They're gonna come through more often than not. Although I'd love to see these kids pop up in, you know, Mobile and Albuquerque and you know Boise, but they're probably gonna pop up in Atlanta and Philadelphia and Dallas, and and that's okay. But they're going to get their early academy games here. They're going to get their first taste of professional games here in MLS Next Pro now. They're probably a lot of them are going to get their first taste of first division games here in MLS. And the better we can make the overall competition, the better they improve. You know, Noah Cobb's a prime example, Caleb Wiley. Um, these guys who are coming up that can be the future of the national team. We talked about George Campbell earlier, another Atlanta kid who's been in the national team pool. Like they got to get games. And, and I think it goes back to the idea of incentivizing, developing players from within. And I really go back to, that's a real nice feather in the cap right now for Atlanta United in terms of going out and improving your rotation of guys you've got contributors that are homegrowns that are not taking up cap space and yeah. other teams have to go sign that mid tier, you know, European league veteran to come in and give you what Tyler Wolf has given you, what Jack McGlynn has given Philly, things yeah. like that. So you've got to incentivize that. And, and if it's 
you know, stretch. Like you can go past 30 if, if you've got homegrowns and go as deep as you want in homegrowns. Like, okay, I'd like to see that. If it's rewarding teams who develop players internally and, and hitting certain milestones, Mexican League has done this, where you hit certain milestones in terms of minutes played and things with this with players under the age of 18, under the age of 21, you get more allocation money, so you get more cap space. Okay, I'm down with that. And I really, the one I, I keep coming back to, and I've felt this way for years, you should be able to basically in perpetuity keep a homegrown developed player off your 20 and off your cap. And if they become the best player in the league and they're getting paid 10 million a year, well, good on you for developing that player and them staying with you. Uh, Those are the things that I would like to see them do. And I think the players association would back that. I think those are, those are wins that I think they would get behind as well because it incentivizes keeping guys in the league for longer periods of time. I think he'd be crazy not to. Um, yeah, I mean, the Players Association, like, look, they're not going to come at it the same way as the owners would in terms of what is important to them and what's not. For them, it's about their members. They they are a membership association. So when rules are created that have some of their members leave and then new members come in, that's not what they want. I think incentivizing developing players from in, in the inside and then keeping them, I think they would get behind that. I think that would be a good way to grow the league. Yeah. So, but this has been, we knew this was going to be a busy one. So the final topic, I think of the night, uh, you grew up, went to the same, same school I did, which is wild. Uh, one County over the headquarters of us soccer. I guess technically it's two counties, slight little bit of Clayton County uh, in between. Eh. I think you can pull it. If you can go from Henry to, to Fayette direct, yeah. I think. There's mostly let's let's call it Trillith. Trillith. Yeah. (laughs) Trillith didn't exist back in the day. (laughs) It didn't didn't exist when I moved there in 2015. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Trillith. Trillith definitely didn't exist back in the day. (laughs) Movie studio put it on the map for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What was the movie studio called before? I don't know. What was its original name? I forget. I visited it one time. We were were really close to doing a soccer in the streets black tie game. Mm on the movie set on one of the movie sets on one oh, of wow. the like it, it's like a giant circular building wow room to set up like a 5v5 or 6v6 we were really close to doing that at one point oh yeah it was very cool i don't know so wait, I, i'm gonna have to look i it can't up remember the original name right? now it's bugging me it's been bugging me since this came out sorry <laughs> yeah. I, so i'll come to you initial thoughts so like what what yeah. you know did it did it hit you as hard as as it did me? Like I was kind of blown away. I mean, I, we knew it was kind of coming, but I was like, oh, it's going to be up North Atlanta because everything's North Atlanta now. I and didn't expect it to be on the north side because of traffic, because of the airport. I, I really didn't. I, I didn't know where yeah, it yeah. would be on the south. Um, I thought maybe they'd be able to find something closer up eighty five towards the airport. Um, mm. but this makes a lot of sense. I mean, when you look at the the landscape of what they're doing and what's happening in the town at Trillith. It's so weird. Um, <laughs> it's, Fayetteville. it's Fayetteville. Come on now. Um, it's just, it makes a lot of sense because you need a lot of space. Um, I, I said it on Atlanta soccer tonight on Tuesday, like my hopes for it. Cause I, I think the plan's great. Everything looks great. It's probably not going to look exactly like the, the drawings do, but it's a great idea. Everything's good. 
I hope that there is some public facing elements to it. I, I hope that the public can, you're not going to experience it like obviously national team players would, but I hope they get to experience it in some form or fashion. I don't know what that looks like. Um, I hope that U.S. soccer uses it and uses the Georgia soccer community as a, a laboratory in some ways for coaching education, for referee development, mm -hmm. for um, grassroots player development, not national team level stuff. But, you know, I've, I've heard that the Federation really would love to see more direct soccer education in schools. Hello, there's a lot of schools around you. That would be awesome. Um, I would love to see that kind of interaction because the Federation's never had this ability. I mean, again, going back to the history of it, when when you go back to the Federation winning the, the World Cup 94 bid and bringing the World Cup here for the first time and it was announced in 88, they had kind of unofficially bid or at least talked about 78 there were conversations about it. Um, Phil Woosnam said in 19, I think it was 69, that if things continued to develop, that Atlanta would host World Cup games in 1978. That was pretty cool to find in my research. That's cool. Um, they run hard after 86 when Columbia couldn't do it because of the earthquake and because of their financial situation. Um, Mexico was structured to do it. And this is in 82 when the NASL was dying and the cosmos and steve ross really tried to bring the world cup here in 86 couldn't get it the federation wasn't really involved in that that was the north american soccer league doing it and it was very dysfunctional the federation then created a plan and they got it done they brought the world cup here for 94 but at that time you didn't have soccer house in chicago your president of the federation was kind of like of the same group of people who had been running it out of you know your kitchen and with one or two employees that were full-time like maybe just one um a lot of volunteer a lot of part-time people you know not consistent programs so that kind of laboratory situation that you have now with a national training center and a headquarters everything in one spot in a very fertile soccer area like the metro atlanta area and like the state of georgia you can create things and grow to a level that we have never seen this game be in this country. So I hope that not just because U.S. soccer is here and they're behind big fences and, and giant walls that good things happen. I hope that they really get in the dirt and, and use all of that stuff that has happened here in this area. And it has Atlanta Soccer City USA right now and has... Mm -hmm so many kids playing and so many things happen. Mm -hmm. I hope they use that to then grow the game in other parts of the country. It's yep. all right there for them. And I hope they do. I, and I, I have a good feeling that they will. And I hope that's the mentality straight out of the gates is that this is now something we've never had and we can grow the game to something we've never been. Well, if so, first Pinewood studios, Pinewood, there that's it is. There a good is. call. Good call. Um, Pinewood studios. Good so. work on the Google machine. <laughs> <laughs> Google foo, my man. There you uh, go. <laughs> so at this at this summit today, one of the things that really stood out to me was because you, you had a lot of folks there, um, and I'm not going to name them all, but like just for all from U.S. soccer, right? The fact that you've got the extended teams coming, you've got um, obviously the men's and women's teams, you know, the beach teams, Super Palsy, like the, everybody's there, one yep. spot. Yep. 
two things that they kept referring back to one was how much of a benefit and it's almost an intangible benefit of having you know the youth national teams there at the same time as the senior national teams oh and, huge and yeah and having you know the the other the extended teams there at the same time because they all benefit huge. from that work that's not just soccer related but yep. the other skills that they can then if they you know aren't playing soccer anymore at 40 years old then they can move on to something else whether it's coaching or something yeah. in business whatever. Yeah. but yeah. the second uh was exactly what you're talking about they they specifically mentioned you know going to south georgia to the the fields in the middle of nowhere you know for the for the non-academy teams and just providing that education for coaching and making it much more available for everybody grassroots efforts yeah, yeah. throughout when you're not, doing, not just georgia but throughout the entire yeah. country of course you got to start here because it's here but yeah. they were very yeah. adamant about that and that's exciting that's awesome man you got the whole southeast to work with and you've got the ability you know you bring your your pro license group in and you want to have you want to see how they you know handle a, a team at a lesser level you can go find them very close and have them go conduct sessions but then those local coaches that knowledge rubs off on them and these are the things that we've never had the ability to do it in the country without a national training center and a headquarters all in one place and now it's in our backyard so it's Yep. It's crazy. Like, going back to your original question, like it, it's crazy because I mean, when I was high school age and and even like just out of high school and, and into college and coming back in the summers, we played pickup so many times at McCurry Park over in Fayetteville, the old soccer center in Fayetteville. And Good old McCurry. <laughs> the soccer center, I, I hate that it's gone. Uh, the indoor center. It's funny, and it's been one of the the threads lately in this grassroots section that I'm working on for the the history podcast. That was a really important place, and I mean, just like my bits of history with it, you know, I watched the U.S. Brazil Copa America semifinal in '95. There, they had a satellite dish close circuit in the soccer shop, and mm, awesome. I remember sitting in there watching it with Adrian Brooks, who played at played for the Atlanta Chiefs, played for the Atlanta Attack, uh, helped do the first soccer team at Kennesaw State. Then it only lasted one year before they brought it back later. Um, I think he was involved at Clayton State as well. Adrian is one of those threads in terms of guys who are so important. He ran the soccer shop the first one I ever went to in Riverdale before the soccer center opened down to 85 in, in Fayetteville. But his shop, like, provided you know equipment provided a meeting place provided you know he would talk to guys i mean a lot of those coaches now or probably more like docs and administrators now they might have really fallen in love with the game and thought about giving back to it because of adrian shop like that soccer center in fayetteville was so important and closed down oh man i want to say five or six years ago um but yeah it's crazy like uh, we went to Fayetteville all the time for playing. One of the first youth tournament I played in as a little kid was in Fayetteville and Peachtree City. Um, every time I drive by the McDonald's on 85 in Peachtree City, yep. I remember mm -hmm. going there as a 10-year-old in our first <laughs> soccer tournament where wow. it was the coolest thing ever because you know we got to go play in a tournament and play a game in the morning and then play a game later that day. And we ate at McDonald's in between because that's all we could do at that time when we were 10 <laughs> And to this day, old. I like... 
my my oldest son played a played matches over there earlier this year you yeah know? yeah so. it's these areas are cool and, and Fayette County has been one that has been really important in Atlanta soccer's overall development that piece of land is going to be a very important piece of land in what Atlanta soccer what soccer in the country looks like in the 20 30 40 years down the road yep yep yeah can't wait can't wait exciting times it's wild um We've hit it. We're at two hours. <laughs> we a good one. Yeah, yeah, I always like Nothing kill y'all's long. time limits. I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> you're fine. Trust you me. Have a bedtime. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Everybody's ready to go to bed now after listening to me ramble for two hours. No, no, no. This is, this is like the best stuff. And uh, I mean, let me look at the numbers. We had tons of people listening. Stop. Tons of people listening. Um, hey, they didn't turn no. us off. That's cool. Right. <laughs> some of them might have fallen asleep and they might not still be listening yeah you know? okay. no but we, we appreciate number, having right? you though yeah we do yeah no, anytime, no we appreciate having you though it's no, something that i always i always tell people like what you guys do is a huge part of the community as well and creating a forum you know talking arguing all of it about all these different aspects of it and we covered a lot of ground and stuff tonight on the show yeah. and I don't think these conversations get had enough or they become echo chambers where it's whatever we think people want to hear. That's what we're going to say to get that viral moment and get that, that buzz and get people to to like the post on, on, on the X. Um, X. That's still weird to me. (laughs) Or threads or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's just, like I think having like in-depth conversations about the game that we're all so passionate about and, and creating that forum for people to agree and disagree is so, so important. And you guys do a great job with it. So I'm just happy to be able to share into it sometimes. And and we always love your insight. I know we we joke around about the time. Um, We go long, even when you're not on. So it's not. That's good. good. (laughs) Um, I don't want to feel like I'm always like, you know, keeping y'all up and breaking everything around. No, not at all. You know, it was funny though, because we knew going into it, like I, I remember looking at trying to get like the notes ready and it was like, oh, well, U.S. soccer. And then it was obviously MLS Cup. We knew we were going to talk about it. And then Cohen. And then, you know, things just kept going. I'm like, oh, wow, this is going to be a really busy episode. It's a lot. It's a lot. So, but, hey, it's better than not having anything to talk about. Yeah. It's, it's something that Glenn Davis in Houston, one of the, the legends of, of American mm-hmm. soccer, period, but especially sure. from a broadcast yeah. perspective, it's something that he would always say to me when we would catch up and that he was so envious. And I'm glad that they're in this position now and they weren't for a long time with the Dynamo but he was so envious of us in Atlanta having yeah. things to talk about on a regular basis. So it's off season. And we just talked for two hours about Atlanta United, the league, the national teams, all of it. And we could, we could still keep going, but I'm really tired now. <laughs> and Hey, when Jason's tired, we got, we got, I, I think Tommy's hat like uh, got uncharged too. I know, he went through a whole charge. On, did did, on did we go hat. through the whole charge? Huh? We're back, baby. Uh, we're oh, back. No. Hey, there we go. There it is. A little bit <laughs> to finish the show off. Um, all right. As usual, Jason, we appreciate it. And you know, thanks, Jason. Anytime. And, now, anytime uh, y'all need me, seriously, let me know. Don't hesitate. And and just of keep course, all the great work that you guys are doing. Thank you thank so much. Thank you. Thank Means you. a lot from you. Uh, on Means your a lot. show as well. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. Cheers, Jason. Happy holidays. Yes.
See you guys. Thanks. So great conversation with Jason as always. I'm over here and having technical difficulties while I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to work us work to I the I can hear the I can hear you. I can hear you. Yeah, I'm over here. <laughs> That's all that matters. Um it's Tommy's hat. It's throwing me off, is what it is. Uh, it's interfering with everything I'm doing. <laughs> so but no. Um absolute pleasure as usual have a jason mm-hmm. on and uh i don't think there's anything else to say y'all go check out the website scarves and spikes.com patreon.com slash scarves and spikes and uh go check discord yeah discord and uh the patreon channel help us design some merch that'll be coming out soon and jason's podcast too and jason's, and jason's yeah. sandy's podcast i should yeah, say i was about to say yeah we gotta, give, to gotta give sandy a shout out as well yes. so and we haven't really talked about it. we're not sure if we're doing a show next week who knows? There might be more news, so we'll have to figure this out. We'll we'll, we'll get back to you. Stay up. Follow our socials. Follow our <laughs> yeah. socials. Yes. Congratulations to Mark. He won our contest, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He guessed. Yeah. He guessed Columbus two to one. Yep. As did I, by the way. Shut up. Well yeah. done. Oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well he done. deferred his, his payment, by the way. So he's gonna he's gonna get some merch from us instead of MLS. Yes, Okay. Yes, he will. All right. Well, I think that's it. Shall we hit the music? Let's roll. Good stuff, guys. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate you tuning in. That's the wrong music. Hey, oh, no, this that, is the that, right music. No, that, the other one's like you get ramped up like you're about to go to the club. I know. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Well, later. We'll see you next time. Yeah.